Okay, so we're live. I'm here with my buddy Pete. Uh, we're going to talk hitting today. Pete, I want you to introduce yourself, um, you know, your journey to the Red Sox, uh, really anything that's relevant. The floor is yours, my friend. Nice. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, yeah, as Chris had mentioned, Peter Fatsy, major league hitting coach of the Boston Red Sox. Um, I mean, baseball has been a part of my life since I was a little kid. I mean, I grew up playing in Western Massachusetts, uh, stayed local, went to University of Connecticut, played for Coach Penders there for three years, was drafted by the Brewers, played in the minor leagues, some independent ball, realized um, I was not as good as I as I hoped and was not going to get to the big leagues. But nonetheless, uh, my journey with, uh, you know, my coaching journey, I guess you could say, started when I was a player, um, kind of identifying things that I needed to work on. I just kind of become, became obsessed with the swing and um, really started to study at a deep level, um, reached out to a, to a ton of different coaches, ton of different people where at the time information was not as readily available. So uh, you really had to dig. Um, and that kind of sparked, like I said, it sparked almost like a 15-year journey for me, just trying to learn as much as I can and, and be able to apply it. And then from there, I opened up my own training academy back in 2011, and was uh, that was open right up through uh, 2019. I got a job with the Minnesota Twins as a hitting coordinator. Um, and then uh, I took a position with the Red Sox as the assistant hitting coach for two years. And then obviously since that point, I've been the uh, major league hitting coach. So a uh, long journey through baseball, plenty more to go. Yeah. So you've, you've seen kind of like the youth hitter all the way up to the, the like elite, elite hitter. Um, so I have two questions for you. The first one that I want to get into here. Are there any traits that are common amongst the best hitters that you have worked with? Um, I think, I think that, and this holds true, I think relative to young kids and, and uh, you know, major league baseball players, although the levels change, I think it's the ability to consistently square the baseball up. I know that's a very general term, um, but I think when you watch, you know, a really good youth baseball player, they're making consistent impact, right? It's same thing at the big league level. Um, when you watch, you know, the best that we that we see or guys in the minor leagues, um, the best players at any level, they square the ball consistently and you have to do a few things. Well, uh, you got to make sure you're on time. Obviously, you're swinging at pretty good pitches to do so. There's some guys that can survive on swinging on pitches towards the edge of the plate. But at some point, um, it's about the, the quality of contact and the impact. And if you're doing that consistently, you're probably hitting the ball pretty hard, too, which is obviously correlates to a lot of success. And I think the other thing, too, um, is, is just really good self-evaluators. Um, the best big league hitters I've been around do a great job. Number one, they understand themselves, but they do a really good job of assessing their performance in a way that they kind of detach themselves from the emotional aspect of it. And um, they can look at their swing. They can look at the outcome of an at-bat and they can say, yeah, like, did I do, did I execute what I was trying to execute or not? Um, and from there we go about making adjustments. I think at the youth level, it, it, it's more about, uh, perseverance, that drive to want to continue to play and the drive to kind of want to be your best. Um, I think that's something that obviously transcends the youth, you know, the youth athlete all the way up to the big leagues. But ultimately, it's about hitting the ball hard, squaring it up, hitting the, and uh, from there, again, being a good self-evaluator. Yeah, I think this self-evaluation part is probably relevant, not just to hitters, but just like high level performers of anything, like whether it's yourself as a hitting coach, myself as a strength and conditioning coach, like being like non-emotional with the results and like being able to just look at it and like objectively say like, this was a good decision by me. This was a bad decision by me. I know obviously with lineups and like the way like guys are working, like you have to like put results aside sometimes and like put the emotion aside and like 
objectively look at on the iPad, like, like this was your path. This was right. This was wrong. Like we can fix this with this drill. We can fix that with that drill. And I would assume, like you said, the, the best are probably good self-evaluators and probably good at like taking that feedback from you as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I also think, you know, it's, it's self-evaluation for me is something that's, it's like a skill that constantly is growing with you as a baseball player or as an athlete. Um, I don't think anybody jumps out and is like a fantastic self-evaluator. I think that you learn through trial and error. I mean, obviously the guys that I've been fortunate to coach that have been in the league 10 plus years, you don't get to that point unless you're extremely talented and, and you've had a lot of positive and negative experiences that you can kind of learn and draw on. So, um, you know, obviously I think those guys are kind of, you know, the Justin Turner's, the JD Martinez's, uh, those types of guys are the gold standard for me. Um, and I think it's something that if you're a hitter, that's really driven or an athlete that's really driven, you're going to watch the guys that are really successful around you. So you get a chance to learn and observe. Um, but I think the other piece too, is, you know, I'd like to say that obviously, you know, even myself as a coach, you know, when I'm making a game plan or I'm making a, a swing suggestion, there's always that emotional tie because you care about the outcome. You know, I always, you know, we talk about it all the time, right? This isn't the process leagues, it's the big leagues, like results matter, but your process has to be the bedrock of everything that you do. So as long as I can go back and check the boxes of my process and say, Hey, listen, I vetted this piece of information, this piece of information, and this piece of information, this led to the suggestion or the outcome. Um, I can live with that. So the process has to be, has to be on point, but ultimately we're getting paid for results. So we got to make sure that we're, we're able to tie those processes to actual results uh, in the game. But again, I think ultimately it comes down to, it comes down to the uh, self-evaluation, but also, like I said, awareness too is big. I think guys that are, are aware of their surroundings, um, you know, they can observe their teammates. I think all those things help build a, a quality self-evaluator. Yeah, I think part of that, too, um, that maybe goes unnoticed is like knowing your role as well within the team. Like, you know, for me to be the assistant to Kiyoshi, there are certain things that I have to do really well um, that, you know, as a, he's the head. So like these are his kind of things that he needs to do. Like there's guys within a lineup that, you know, some guys are going to hit 30 plus homers, like some guys have to move runners, some guys have to have good at bats. And I think part of that self-evaluation one is like the, the actual technical, the skill aspect, but also like understanding where you fit within the big picture of the team. I think those guys really can help the team. And then in return, like, it's almost like the favor gets returned to them by the baseball gods, right? Like the guy that can move a runner over or like put together a good at bat, really grind a pitcher down. Like when he comes up in a big moment, like he tends to, you know, whether it's luck or skill or whatever, like he gets rewarded by those other decisions and other like sacrifices that he makes early on as well. Maybe I'm, I'm talking no, about inside my mouth. No, 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 no. I think a lot of it, like for me, we hear it all the time in our game, right? Staying within yourself. Baseball is such a unique game in a sense of so the harder you try or the, the, sometimes the quicker you try and go, right. The, the negative impact it has in your game, right. It's, you have to be able to move quick, but not fast things like things like that. Right. Um, and I think there's a lot of mental aspects that go into that as well, but I think what you're describing is ultimately that staying within yourself approach. There's some guys who, uh, Raphael Devers, I mean, he's going to run into 30 homers because he's a big, strong guy with tons of bat speed, good bat to ball skill. Um, where other guys, you know, if I tried to hit 30 homers, tried to hit 30 homers, I'm going to end up with a lot of ground balls to second base, you know, like that's just not, that's just not how I'm built phys physically. And, and my tool set is more geared towards or has to be more geared towards using the whole field hitting line drives. 
and I'll get rewarded for doing that by some extra base hits and homers. But the moment I try and and, and just swing for the fence and try and hit homers, like that's going to take away from parts of my game that I need to be successful, um, especially again at the big league level. But um, it, you know, that's that's where again it comes back to knowing who you are as a player, knowing your strengths, and you know at the big league level, knowing what got you there, right? That you've you know I always tell like our guys when we get them, you've taken you know, thousands of swings, thousands of at-bats before you've gotten to me at this point. My job is to learn you first and foremost and help bring the best out of you, right? And that's, I think that's really, really important uh, the higher up you go with some of these, with some of these big league guys. Yeah, it's it's been really cool for me to just see some of those, like you say, the JDs and the JTs of the world that have the 10 plus years and like the work that they put in and like the objectivity that they have around their swing and like, you know, just being a fly on the wall in the cage and watching, you know, Julio just know objectively, like in this video, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I did do this. And like how he studies his at bats and like takes the emotion out of it. And then you see some of the younger kids that are, you know, trying to put their stamp on things in the big leagues and trying to make a name for themselves. And, you know, when things don't go their way, it's like, you know, it seems like the end of the world where like, you know, JD types, the JT types, if they're struggling, like, you know, at some point they're going to break out of it. And in the meantime, they're just working on what they're working on. And obviously it wears on them. Like everybody wants to succeed. And like you said, everybody cares about succeeding. We're all together so much, but it's just, it's interesting to see those older guys and, you know, the guys that have stuck around and almost reinvented themselves at times versus those young kids that are like putting so much pressure on themselves to like make a name, make some money for themselves. Like, try to get outside of themselves, so to speak, like you're talking about, like, it's just interesting to watch how they work. And, you know, I, obviously I don't know the, the swing and hitting as well as you do, but, you know, I've learned a ton from you over the years we've been together and, you know, being able to observe the best of the best, like really is for me, it's, it's like a cool experience. And I'm sure for you as a hitting coach, you probably feel the same and, and additionally have an extra layer of it because you actually know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think success leaves clues a lot of times too. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I don't think J, I mean, not speaking for those two guys, but I don't think JD or JT would be in the position they're in unless they failed at some point. Um, you know, it's similar to kind of how I view my coaching uh, career, right? Like the whole, my whole, I guess the reason behind me becoming a coach is because I failed so much as a hitter. I was just trying to find ways and trying to find uh, things that could help me to become better. And that just led to this passion where I started to like teaching it more than I liked doing it myself and get more reward for seeing other guys um, perform than my own performances. So I just think that nobody gets there without failure and you can accept failure and learn from it and move on and become better, or you can let it define ultimately like who you are. And I think the the players that are able to take failure and learn from it the quickest um i think those are the guys that that, that end up having success obviously talent is the barrier to entry but everybody's going to fail at some point you're going to fail every one of us as coaches as players as executives it doesn't matter so i think it's ultimately how you how you learn from experiences and, and moving moving forward totally so my second question for you it's probably pretty loaded but is there anything that if it's done correctly would improve almost anyone's performance as a hitter, whether it's the youth kids that you had in your facility, the elite level guys, like, is there any one thing that anybody could work on? It's going to make them better. It's funny. This is a super loaded question, by the way. And I yes. have a relatively loaded answer as well. That's okay. So, 
so I was thinking about this when you asked me the other day and, you know, I'm thinking of my mind raised to like different drills or different, you know, focuses or in-game approaches or, you know, a bunch of different things. But ultimately, like, I don't think there's one hitter that would not benefit from building a better engine is probably the best way to put it. Um, and I mean that from a physicality perspective, like obviously the younger kids, um, you know, their curve is going to be different with their growing, obviously. And, um, you know, I, I see my son right now, my son picks up a bat. It looks completely different than it did a month and a half ago, just because he's, he's growing like a weed. He's, eat, you know, he's eating, he's, he's sleeping more. And, you know, the same thing with kids that are 10, 11, 12. Um, it's hard to coach the swing when the athlete is changing all the time at that level. And I think like, especially the young ages, there's a lot of coaches that get hung up on the technical aspects of a swing at age 10, 11, and 12. And the reality is that athlete's going to be completely different in six months, in a year, in 18 months than they are right now. So you're better off finding ways to create the environment or generate the right intent that you want um, and ultimately, and help them get understand like kind of how to move, move with purpose, I guess is probably the best way of putting it, uh, shape their intent. And then conversely, same thing at the big league level, like, I think whether it's building the engine, continuing to get stronger or refining your engine, like fine tuning the engine, um, there's not one big leader that I think would not benefit from that, right? Taking care of your body, making sure that you're training to be explosive, um, as explosive as you can. Um, I just, I, I think that's probably the most important thing that, that transcends all levels. Yeah, it's really interesting. As you're talking about that, I can very specifically remember like, when I was in high school and I really got into weight training and I put on like a ton of weight, like when I got to the baseball season, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm going to like, I'm going to be hitting bombs, this, that, and the other thing. And my swing felt so weird just cause I was like 15 pounds heavier. And I was like more mus muscular and I was like, what the hell am I doing? So I almost had to like, you know, reteach myself. And then I think about, you know, I've worked in private facility in the off season and it's like, I had some kids that were, 10 years old and like it, it looks like the bat is swinging them and I'm like man if this kid like gets more physicality to him like he's gonna be able to hit the ball but then his swing's gonna look totally different like so I'm like I don't know if I don't want to say lessons are are a waste I don't think that's the right way to put it I think you know like you said having the correct intent and like doing things appropriately that way but a lot of it is nowadays I think kids are so invested in like I want to swing like Bryce Harper or I want to swing like Juan Soto or Fernando Tatis. And it's like, you're 10 years old. You're not that guy yet. Like those guys are all physically, like if you see them in person, they're monsters. Like, I, I don't know. It's just like, for me, if those kids spent more time on the development and building the engine, like you're talking about, I think as they go, they'll learn the baseball skill. And it's not that you have to separate the two. It's just, like you say, you have to be a little bit more, uh, deliberate with the intent of the baseball side of things when kids are young. And like, for me, I, I love, there's a guy I follow on, you know, social media and he's got kids like running obstacle courses and like jumping over stuff and like building all these physical skills as they're maturing, you know, and then you put a bat in their hand and, and it's like, they just take off because they already have kind of that base level engine like you're talking about. Yeah. And I think two of the big things at the youth level, specifically to jump out only be, and I'm thinking of this because I'm, it's actually how I'm working with my son right now is that we don't, I don't give him any instruction as it comes to hitting. Like I just, I don't, he's six turning seven in January. Um, he's in like hockey right now. 
And the big thing for me is balance and stability at, the, at those levels. Doing things, I think if you're going to coach or you're going to give instruction, I think it's about challenging balance and stability, like if, if, if anything. Um, and how do you do that? You could use light bats, heavy bats, or different weighted bats, end loaded bats, knob, like getting, getting uh, hitters to feel different ob- uh, implements in their hands. Um, we do a lot, like I just, I'll have my, my, my son stand on a balance, different balance boards and do different stick handling exercises. Again, stuff that just gets him to, it just makes things just a little bit harder. Challenging his balance and stability. Um, I think ultimately, you know, as a guy from the Northeast, uh, and you can relate this as well from, you know, your, where you're from as well, you know, it's, it's cold. Like we, we, we don't play baseball all year round. So for me, it was hockey. So my hockey training was, I mean, I shot more pucks than I took baseball swings. I'll tell you that and ended up being a college baseball, professional baseball player. And I think the crossover there was um, this, this, the transfer between skills. It really came down to intention. I was trying to shoot the puck hard at a certain target. And I was trying to do it while on, you know, quarter inch blades as fast as I can. Right. And it's like, from there, like those two things cross over pretty well. Um, What I learned as I got older was how to approach certain, certain pitches or certain hitters how to become on time with 9092 when I got to college. Um, you know, like I said, I had never had formal instruction. My dad kind of taught me what he knew uh, when I was a kid. I always had success. But the moment I got to college, my freshman year is our first inner squad. And I'll never forget a freshman, Dusty Odenbach, actually from up your way, threw me a one-two splitter. And I swung at the thing and it hit like literally five feet in front of the plate. And I'm like, what is like, I don't know what that is. What is that? And it was that moment where I'm like, okay, I need to start making adjustments to my timing, letting the ball travel, how to use the other part of the, the field, things like that. So I think, you know, I guess what I'm saying is I think there's always going to be time to continue to refine your approach and the skill of hitting. But I think the window for teaching, like, I guess, how to move fast, um, you know, how to attack the baseball, how to create the right intention. I think those things, uh, it's important that you, you, you nourish those things at a young level personally yeah the hockey the hockey thing is so relatable to me i i can remember like stick handling with a heavy ball and then like stick handling with like a golf ball and then like shooting a roller hockey ball and then a puck and like you know it's the same target you're shooting at but each implement is a different weight or like you're stick handling something different and then my dad would take me to hit and he would throw it all over his bp was horrendous he'll tell you that but he used to yell at me like for taking pitches in BP. And he's like, you think these umpires are just going to like not call bad pitches? He's like the, the umps in the big leagues aren't always the best. Like imagine these youth umps and no pitchers are just going to throw it down the middle. Like you have to learn to hit other pitches. So he'd like, there'd be a pitch behind me and I'd have to like learn to, you know, turn <laughs> and hit it. And like, it, it was just all part of it. You know, we would play wiffle ball. We would play with tennis balls. We would play with, random baseballs that had mud on them and they're all like different sizes and everything and you're just learning to control your body and space with different implements and then like you said you get you know to the higher level of high school you go play college ball and then guys are a little bit better they can command the zone a little better and then you learn you know the process of actually being a hitter but as a kid it was just like go play different sports learn to control your body be balanced, have a strong core, you know, strong core, whatever that means to people. And like, just be athletic, be strong. And and I can remember the first time I went to the gym and all my buddies wanted to do upper body and my upper body was weak as a kitten, but my legs were, you know, strong as, as an ox because I had played hockey. I was skating on, on the ice so much. And I was over like 
doing legs all the time and they're like what's wrong with you man i'm like this one, this is the stuff that I'm good at. And two, like, this is the stuff that matters. I'm using the ground. Like I, I still hate upper body training, but um, <laughs> that's probably beside the point. But yeah, it's for you. It's probably cool that you have your son and you get to kind of, I don't want to say use him as a guinea pig or a project because that's, <laughs> that's not very nice to your son, but like just taking that, that approach and like almost knowing like that this is the right way to train him. I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of like kids who have big league dads who end up being big leaguers. And it always makes me wonder like, yeah, they probably have the genetics and the skills and everything, but also like they're probably coached appropriately or like not coached. Like you say, almost like a hands-off approach with those kids that like some of the dads that want their sons to go pro are like almost probably over coaching them. You think, am I uh, on to something there? Or no, is it like a... it's, it's funny. My, my wife and I were just talking about this. I think a lot of it's environmental more, more obviously if you're, if you're, you know, the byproduct of a big league, a big leaguer, like you're going to be born with some genetic advantages, but like, I think the environment's the most important thing. I wrote down two things when you're talking, I wrote down compete and an invite and, and the environment. So the first part of that is the competing piece going back. To something you said, I think is the most important translatable skill in all of sports is you have to, you have to be obsessed with competing. Right. And like winning has, I think winning has to matter. That's just the way I see it. Um, and I think when you're playing wiffle ball, your dad's from BP, like there's, there's an element of competition to it. Um, whether you're playing other sports, you have to compete. And we, we all know those, we've all seen the guys that, um, that just get in the box and they're, they're, they're just tough outs, right. They like, they're just not going to get beat. And I think that's a skill if you were to draw up any baseball player. That's, that's something you want with everybody. But jumping back to what you said about the the big league bloodlines, I do think that's important. I mean, look at the kid Jackson Holiday, right? Like, I mean, for one one, kids tearing it up, can probably be in the big leagues next year. Um, dad has big league pedig pedigree, tons of uh, phenomenal coaches in their family. But I think it's about the environment in terms of what they're exposed to, right? It's not what you're being told; it's what you see. And when you see how big leaguers act, when you see um, you know how big leaguers hit the ball, how hard they hit the ball when you see how they take ground balls and you see how fluid it looks, when you see the equipment that they wear, I always had this joke at my academy and, and, and you'd see the kids that come in with sunglasses, wrist tape, shin guards. I'm mean, used to my son. I mean, he wears the Evo shield shin guard. He's got the C flap. He's got it all. And everybody, a lot of people look at those kids and go, Oh, look at this. You know, he's showing off or like, you know, he's, he's the kid with all the pretty gear. And I'm like, no, he's the kid that's paying attention. He's the kid that sees the detail. I'm telling you right now, that's the kid that's paying attention. Some of the best hitters that I've uh, come across, um, they can like remember very specific details of it, bats, of pitches, of counts, of the weather. I mean, they'll tell you very specific details about um, a, a situation that they had across the game. And I think that's something that's a transferable skill also. So whether it's being in the batting cage, watching you know the guys hit, being in the clubhouse, seeing how they carry themselves, seeing how they talk to the talk to the staff, greet the manager. I think those things are all really important because when you get into those environments, a lot of times it's the ability to not be, in, I don't want to say intimidated, but to, to, to shake the nerves as quick as you can to feel like you belong, you know? Um, and I think that's, that's one of those things Like when push comes to shove, like that's something that can move the needle on a player, you know, that player that walks in confident is ready to go, believes in themselves. So I think there's something to be said there. Um, and then again, like a lot of times the thing that's things that aren't said, just the things that players can observe by watching other players. And that was something that we did a lot 
we called it like it was like open cage or open gym at my academy is we would have all like on uh, I think it was Sunday mornings we'd leave all the cages open. So if you were if you trained at the academy, it wasn't cage rentals. You just showed up and hit. So we'd have college pro guys hitting in one cage. We'd have 10, 12 year olds down the other cage. But we did that so so the young kids could watch the older kids and just observe. And we would try not to over, we wouldn't really coach. It was just their time to hit. Um, and I always thought that was really important because I wanted, I wanted them to use their eyes instead of just being told, you know, uh, some sort of instruction, if that, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I can remember when I was in high school, we used to have, you know, you, you grow up in the cold, so you have to hit indoors like once a week in January. And, we had a guy come in and he had played at like a local high school. He had got drafted and he came in and he talked to us about hitting and about playing. And he was like, you know, when you go to the gym, everybody wants to do upper body. But if you do one set of 10 squats, that's going to get you closer to being a better baseball player. And I'll never forget him saying that. And then like watching him in the cage. And it's like you say, like the, the environment of just this guy is a pro player, like, I want to watch everything he does and I want to try to like copy everything he does because he's a pro, right? Like, and whether he made it or not, like it, it doesn't even matter to me. It's funny. Like I worked at a private facility uh, after my first season in pro ball and I had worked rookie ball, like as low as it gets on the totem pole of professional baseball. And I had a bunch of kids that wanted to work with me just because I had worked with the pirates for a year. And I was like, I'm not even like close to the big leagues and they're like, doesn't matter. You work with pros. Like you got to know what you're talking about. And like, you know, hopefully I, I didn't steer any of them in the wrong direction, but it's just like that, like you're saying, the idea of like that environment of like knowing somebody who has made a prime example. I took my brother to hit with you last year. And, you know, for me, I had never seen that level of like focus from him of like, I'm spending time with a major league hitting coach. Like he's taking time out of his life to teach me something. I'm going to be as locked in as I can. And like all of the stuff that you taught him and the drills and stuff, he still talks to me about it because he has that much respect for you right off the bat, just because of who you are, your pedigree, the environment you're creating in the cage. And you challenged him with things that led to results. And he like, I can remember, I don't know if you will remember this or not, but just the first time the ball jumped off his bat in the cage and he kind of had this look like, whoa, like that came <laughs> off of my bat. Like I can do that. And I'm like, yes, like this is what I wanted him to see. Like, and, mm -hmm. and so for me, like, you know, you say the, the competition and the environment, like I couldn't agree with you more, man. And that's why for me, like, it's, it's so fun for me to just be in your cage with the guys and like, just be a fly on the wall and spend time in there whenever I can, because I love the environment in there. I love the shit talking in there, the competitiveness, like I, especially right before the game when guys are like getting locked in and you just hear, wow, wow. You know, we got the, the earplugs down there. Like it's, it's awesome. It's just a great place to be. And it, it just makes me smile thinking about it, man. And, and for me, like I, I appreciate our friendship. I appreciate you allowing me to just be in the cage. And of course, like always being able to pick your brain and, and, you know, I, I consider you one of the best. I haven't been around a ton of hitting coaches, but I don't think I need to. You know, that's what I mean? good. That's <laughs> good. I like that. Stay there. Stay there. I, I, I appreciate your time. I don't want to take too much more from you, man. And uh, so we'll obviously we'll be talking again soon. But thank you so much for your time and your friendship over the years. No doubt, Chris. Happy to do it.